Welcome to Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I am your host, Phil, and in this episode, I will be joined by Rich Keegan, a trainer at High Five, Justin McGlamory, who is the founder and chief Locus Focuser for Focus Your Locus Team Building, and Chris Ortiz, who is the program director for the Team Development Center at Shavers Creek, and also teaches leadership and group dynamics at Penn State University. So the four of us were brought together to do a live recording of a podcast episode on behalf of the Boost Conference. Now, Boost stands for Best of Out of School Time, and I highly recommend you attend this conference. If this is the first time you're hearing about it, look it up. It is phenomenal every year around April. It's hosted in Palm Springs, which is in California, which is awesome. But it's an incredibly well-organized and great opportunity to connect with uh, like-minded individuals in the world of education. Their tagline is inspire the youth, inspire learning, and inspire change. And I was very fortunate to be able to participate in this conference, the virtual conference this year. And what you're going to hear is that recording. Okay. We're missing Chris Ortiz. He's here. Chris, He's here. where are you? I'm here. I can't see him for some reason. Oh, there oh, he is. Hi. Birthday boy. How you doing? Yeah, good, good. Good afternoon, and welcome everyone to the Boost Virtual Podcast Lounge. Today, our podcast is with the High Five Adventure Learning Center team and their vertical playpen podcast. Um, if you have any questions or comments, please add them to the chat or raise your hand via Zoom. Other than that, take it away. High five. Awesome. Thank you so much. That would be fun. So, hey, everyone, and welcome to Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I'm your host, Phil, and I am super excited today to be doing this live recording uh, with the Boost Conference. Unfortunately, we're not at Palm Springs, but we are virtual, so we can have some of the same experience. Now, I have been joined by three other people who are going to be serving as a bit of a panel here. We've got Justin McGlamory, Chris Ortiz, and Rich Keegan. Now, collectively, together, this is decades worth of experience in the realm of facilitation, um, team development, leadership development, SEL learning, uh, running programs all across the Northeast um, in the US. And so what we're going to have the opportunity to do is we're going to ask this the the audience who is here if you have any questions for the collective four of us as it relates to experiential education, adventure education, team development, team programming, running activities with your groups. Please throw those into the chat. We want this to be um, a collective conversation. We want to be able to serve this population as best as we possibly can. If you would like to raise your hand also, please do, the, do so using the reactions here on Zoom, and we can have you uh, ask your question in real time, and you will get featured on the podcast as well. But before we get there, and it will give you also time to ruminate on the possible question that you might want to ask, I have a question that I'm going to pose to this group, and we're going to go each one of us and answer it. So based on what I last year has been, myself, Justin, Chris, and Rich have all experienced virtual facilitation. So my question for each one of us is, what is your top tip when it comes to virtual facilitation, when we're running programming with a group in a virtual setting, what is your number one tip? 
Who would like to step in and, and go first? Like any other programming, I think we're doing even before or after school, um, as far as in the virtual space, it's expecting not to go as planned, um, especially with the technology. There's a whole nother level to that. I mean, I'm, I've been fortunate to not have had a lot of uh, glitches with the, in the virtual space, but you already know how to manage <laughs> your plan doesn't go as you think it should. And that the same thing applies in the virtual space. And we were all already doing that. So I, I always felt as a professional, it's how well can I be flexible and just kind of roll with that. Maybe not even have my participants notice when things don't necessarily go as planned. Gentlemen, Justin, any thoughts? Jumping right off of that. Things don't go as planned. And, and I typically plan more than I have time for, I realize. Um, so I do that in my in-person groups as well just kind of have like my whole thing going and know that it's like jazz music there's a standard i i know how the song goes you might know how the song goes and then depending on who the players are in the, in the group um we go where the group needs to go and so that happens a lot virtually too um but kind of scaling back some of the my expectations a lot of the time on what everybody else's proficiency or tech um, connectivity might be and just scaling it back and being here with people while we're here with people. That's, that's my number one, be present, fully present. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to riff off of what you just said, very jazz like, because my connection to that is that uh, when, when I've been doing programming in this virtual setting, I've, I've found that uh, much like we're modeling here, um, in this virtual space to, to have a DJ and an MC to borrow off of some music pieces, to have somebody who's the MC, who's the mouthpiece, who's running things, but also having some support to manage the technical aspects of, of things. And so uh, every program I've been scheduling in, in my space that I work in, we're trying to have a DJ, somebody who can be helping manage the logistics and the technical aspects so that we can stay focused on the participants, stay present, stay connected to what's going on and not have to necessarily worry about is the breakout room going to work or is, you know, does somebody say something in the chat that I should have seen? We have that technical support. Um, and, and another sort of key component to facilitation that, that I've been paying a lot of attention to is sequencing. This is not necessarily the most comfortable space for everybody to participate. So creating a nice sequence where we build up compassion and skills and, and, and relationships and connections in a virtual space, get people to understand what things are going to look like and have some fun with it. And then it opens up conversations later on when people can be a little more comfortable in the, in the room. It's the same thing I would do if the people were in front of me, you create a sequence to get people comfortable so that they're more willing to engage and open up as the day goes on. I noticed as well, Shane uh, has thrown into the chat, bandmates that you trust, which I yes. like that, that phrasing. I totally agree with all statements. Uh, the co-leadership thing has been something that's been really vital, especially starting this. How do you get all the tech stuff going? Right now in this experience, we have people who are supporting me also. So uh, that really, really does help. One tip that I often give, though, is thinking about um, how we connect with human beings in person is through our eyes and the contact that we make. So trying to get in the habit as best as you can of being able to look at you in the lens, which can 
can be a, a challenge, something to really practice. And on on Zoom, which I, you know, and other platforms that I've utilized, I've got rid of the I've hidden myself view, and you're able to do that in the Zoom by going to those three little dots, and you can click down to hide self view, and that way you don't get to see yourself as much, which I think that can be a big distraction in the real in person facilitation. You don't hold a mirror up the whole time constantly looking to make sure you're still looking good so i think that that can get into our heads sometimes so um hiding self-view and uh staring at the lens would be the tips that i would share in virtual facilitation yeah <laughs> rich was staring very intently yeah justin yeah I, I was pondering on this a little bit earlier one thing that i've really found true about my facilitation in zoom and I don't know if it's about my facilitation, just participants is in kind of, this is dovetailing back to what you were talking about, Chris, around sequencing and, and people's comfort is I've found that people, and I don't know if it's because people are in their homes or because there's this safety between the screen and each other and, and maybe an added sense that we need to connect more deeply because we're not here with one another in real space. Um, people are, are really sharing a lot and in really great ways. I've had so many really deep facilitation moments and group moments where people are, are just putting themselves out in really vulnerable ways earlier, seemingly, than in some in-person groups. And so I'm really hopeful. I've been kind of trying to analyze that. People do that in my in-person groups too. But I, I feel like there's a different layer of comfort in some ways because of this venue that I, I want to be mindful of as we return to more in-person groups and, and play with what's the difference, you know, a little bit more intentionally and have those discussions with people. This episode is supported by Atomic Climbing Holds. With orders that ship in one to five business days and having removable climbing holds that are really ideal for a challenge course program, allowing you to adapt and change the routes that you might have on your traverse walls and your climbing walls, then I highly recommend you checking out Atomic Climbing Holds. You can find them at their website, atomicclimbingholds.com as well as see all the wonderful climbing holds that they make on their Instagram at Atomic Climbing Holds. And Atomic is with a K, A-T-O-M-I-K, Climbing Holds. Notice that Chris is thrown in the chat. Hit us up with your questions. So please, people who are here, there's 41 people in the audience. Feel free to throw up a question that you would have for this panel. Uh, I did have each of the panelists prep a question just in the case that we didn't get any. But I don't want that to necessarily be the out. So feel free to throw something into the chat if you have a question for any of the three here. Yeah, Justin. I have, I have a question. Are you guys in the same room? <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah, of the paneling background. The paneling well, background. I'm in central Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, and I am in Vermont. Yeah, we, I have a question. Yeah, question, Shane. Go. Yeah, so I, I'm just curious because you all do um, some pretty high risk facilitation in person, or you you did before all this. How do you, you know, when you're doing ropes course and and those kinds of things, you're really challenging people to be vulnerable, right, with their physical bodies and their and their mental space as well. How, how do you envision helping people to 
transition back into that because we've all been in our own little bubbles the past year. Um, how are we going to help people to transition out again? Fantastic question. Great question. Uh, I can add from High Fives Lens that we have been running a programming called Gathering Again, which is very emblematic of like, yes, we're going to gather again. So what does that feel like to gather again? But I think that beyond even that act, that workshop, which was designed around getting groups of people working with organizations, bringing their core group back together, if they were going to have to return to work, that they were going to have these moments and these experiences. But what we also have realized is we need to be using some of those techniques throughout the programs that we do, even if it's not aimed at that. So an example would be that we have been we're experiential educators. So we've been experientially teaching people how to get more accustomed to being distant, physically distant. Um, and that's a good um a word semantic issue around physical distance versus social distancing. We prefer to say it's physical distancing because we still are social human beings. But when we're training that physical distance, we're training wearing masks for long extended periods of time. We want to experientially learn that. So we do activities around what that might be. So that's a method that we've used. Any Anyone else want to jump off that? I can just add that part of um, perceived risk, especially when we started doing that, well, it's just acknowledging, just bringing people together for the first time. Um, so if you've been in that virtual space for a while, and we had more than a few participants that just coming together, and we had a group of, I think it was 25 to start with, and we separated in groups and had them distancing, but just the physical part of just being there with that many people, for some was like, whoa, wait a minute here. So um, we really took baby steps one step at a time in terms of creating that physical um, distance, but acknowledging that it is a challenge for some people just getting out of this space and getting back into large groups. Yeah, this is, this is a conversation that has been happening in my space quite a bit lately. Um, we've been using two different languages. There's return to work, which is policy that's going to be coming from our university around how do we return? What are the, what are we allowed to do to return to work? And then what we've been sort of jokingly calling re-entry, which is like we're returning from space and like, how do we re-enter the world and what does that look like? And, and I think um, one of the things that we've noticed is there's going to be, I, and I don't mean to harp on the sequencing piece, but it's going to be a, a, a cultural progression. And so it's a resetting of norms. It's a reestablishing of cultural uh, expectations because it's going to be very different for every individual and people's perceived risk versus actual risks. People who are living in, in tenuous situations at home from a medical standpoint to those who are feeling vital and vi have vitality and vaccinations and, and those might be in a very different space. And how do you create um, something that is, that is uh, representative of both of those worlds is going to be the big trick. I think we have, uh, coming in and how we're trying to focus our energies on that re-entry, um, rebuilding, establishing culture, setting some norms again, um, and understanding around those pieces. Agreed. And one thing I've found interesting in the times when, I've, when I have done in-person groups at this point is depending on the group and where they are geographically and how that may shake out in terms of socio-political beliefs and stuff you like the norms that I may come in and comfort level I may come in with, which is cautious, right? I've, I've, I had COVID. I, I know how bad it is. I know people who've died from it and going into spaces where people hadn't known anyone yet and didn't believe that it was a thing. And we're not really taking the spots that I put on the floor seriously, right. As like, 
hey, this is a real thing. I had the opportunity to work with them in the beginning of the school year and do a whole bunch of social, you know, like keeping physical distanced, let's get social again activities for them to bring their kids back to school in a hybrid way. And we had a great time and it became clear that none of them, at the, I, asked, I asked the question, has anyone here known anyone with COVID, who's had COVID and no one had, right? And this is the beginning of the school year. They were really poor about maintaining distance. They were begrudgingly wearing masks. And I had a conversation with them about, look, no matter what your beliefs are, like people are coming into this space, like myself, who have a, diff, a, a spectrum of, of uh, feelings about this, whether you think it's a real thing or not a real thing, uh, depending on who you, who you follow, we need to be mindful that we're, we're all here together, right? And so where is that place where we can all at least create a base layer of where everyone can feel comfortable enough to be here together? And if we're not, like, you're not probably doing your job appropriately as educators because there will be kids, there are probably educators here who have a spectrum of feelings and difference here. I got to work with them again in February. And at that point, COVID had made its way down to their part of the state. Um, people had been sick. And we had that conversation all very differently again on Zoom this time. So I think acknowledging, you know, where we all are in given moments is really important. And to, like, like Chris said, reestablish norms, have those intentional discussions and dialogues about what are these norms and why have, because there is still this spectrum of difference. There are people who are getting vaccinated. There are people who will not get vaccinated. How do we manage all this and how do we keep people in a place of, of both health and safety? And then that emotional safety that enables us to create those spaces where people will feel vulnerable enough to, to jump into brave space and, and share and do all those things that, that happen when the group magic is bubbling. I noticed we have a question about gamification in the virtual space. And I'm a little bit of a gamification junkie in, in terms of trying to add those specific tenants to a lot of activities, meaning they should be engaging. They should look great, maybe sound great, you know, about gamification in our phone and it buzzes. It constantly is giving us feedback. And we like to try and do the same with games. And some of the things we've been doing to get, well, not out of that, out of this space, but add other things that may be more visually stimulating for your kids um, one is Jamboard. I think that Chris showed me way back when. And then uh, Phil Gathertown, which uh, is, um, how do you want to explain that? It's kind of like a throwback place that you can create. If you haven't looked at that, we really suggest you do that in terms of uh, creating a, a really engaging space for kids, especially in your programs where they can go with somewhat of a challenge. It would be a little effort. Or it could be as simple one of the tenets of gamification is competition. So um, without getting into all those other spaces, um, thinking about sometimes where you can add competition where that may be a positive thing. Um, like an example, where I was working with a hockey team and how do you not have competition with a hockey team? And the simplest form of that, does anybody have an idea of a simplest form of competition in this space? Anybody have any ideas? Well, yeah, an idea was thrown in the chat. Trivia was a fun. I got an idea. Trivia. Right. (laughs) I'm going to steal that, Elizabeth. Thank you. (laughs) And the age old case of, uh, for those people who know each other, and um, in the before and after school programs I've been involved with, um, you know the kids very well because you see them in the morning and then you come back and you see them in the evening um, after school for a lot of kids. The simple version of rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, Chris, you want to go? No, I was just thinking of a, you want to go, oh, ready? One, two, three. Rock, paper, scissors. We're going to go. Oh, rock, rock, paper, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. Show. 
Yeah, we, we got, got too many scissors. Too many, too many yeah. scissors. Oh, I love it. Some yeah. uh, Doris threw in Kahoot, which is another really fun one that I've been yeah, seeing right. teachers utilize in a, as a version of a trivia um, aspect. That's really great. There's this old classic Fireball uh, Wah Master. It's a you can look that one up, but it's, that works. There's a lot of activities that we've been finding for gamification of sort of even brain breaks. I mean, we're spending a lot of time looking at screens and so doing activities that allow the person to get up and move within this box and, and move their bodies and go find a prop or find something, even multiple colored items where they can answer your questions by showing, you know, red, yellow, or green, doing little things like that to get people moving around and, and being interactive. Um, you brought up one that came to mind was the scavenger hunt. It's like to get this, like get up, get moving, get walking around. And um, the scavenger hunts that we do at the site level are more about things that are more personal to you, but meaningful at the same time. So you're like making that, that social emotional con- connection with them. And you're also getting them to, you know, safely walk around their house and get some items and be able to, you know, showcase that. Um, a second one for you guys is also, there's a lot of YouTube videos that are like, guess the character, guess the TV show, guess the song, things like that. And how it gets very competitive is um, very simply say, all right, so we're going to go ahead and share this video with you guys. First, want to type it in correctly in the chat box. We'll go ahead and, you know, get a point and create like a point system with like teams and stuff like that. That gets super competitive. And I know, um, you know, it's, we've done it with our uh, staff members and we also done it at the student level. And both of them have been super successful because you have the, the trivia piece behind it, right? The competitiveness that makes it like very engaging, very, they can relate to the things that we're doing. And they're also making it as competitive and they just want to, you know, have fun throughout the whole day with it. Yeah. I was going to say one of the ways I've used um, done scavenger hunts is using the app called Flipgrid, which is basically like a video, including students' voices. So every kid can reply with a video message to a prompt. And so assigning different challenges, video challenges to to the kids or, or participants, adults too. And then everybody can go into that same grid and view everyone else's video responses. So you can add, you can create ones that build off of one another that, you, you know, one person needs to start and then the next person needs to respond. You can do all kinds of things. So similar to so what Eric was saying, making them really personal and meaningful and then just some goofy stuff in there too, just for fun. But I agree with Chris, like getting everybody up and off of this thing from time to time is uh is really important. There's a couple more things that folks put in here and it brought to mind. So somebody put in, Doris put in virtual escape rooms and Shane mentions elves, wizards, or dragons. Maybe that's giants, wizards, and elves. There's lots of different names for things. One of the things that I started, I had to make a mental switch at some point, which was I, when everything first started and we shut down, at least here in Pennsylvania in, in, in March of 2020, my brain immediately went to, I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. And at some point, in maybe May, I had to switch my brain and saying, how can I do that? How can I do this? Cause it was, there were so many things that I had just written off as like, Oh, well we can't do that anymore. And it, it wasn't until I started having a bit of a brain, a, a mind shift, a, a way of thinking of saying like, well, how can I do that? How can I take this activity that I've loved and modify, change, adapt to either the virtual world or what I'm working on right now is shifting things to a physical distance. So how is that activity able to be done in a physically distanced space as opposed to getting everybody really tight together uh, where there might be some discomfort? So it's, it's taking activities that you love and saying like, wow, I don't actually have to do much of anything. I just have to space this out a little bit more and we have a physically distanced version of that particular activity. So uh, getting your brain out of the I can't do into the how can I it has been helpful. 
what's really nice about what we're all sort of suggesting is that a lot of the stuff that we may have been scared of doing, our own vulnerability around facilitating programming again, what's been fortunate is that all four of us have facilitated programming. I would say regularly-ish, question mark-ish. Um, but I know that the work that we're doing at High Five is definitely ramped up. I've been doing way more programming. And the thing I would encourage everyone here listening to do is to add your own sites with your own staff, with your own groups, actually have the opportunity yourselves to also practice. And uh, what I found was really helpful, if you haven't gone into having to work with a group all day wearing masks, get in the habit of wearing masks on Zoom. Uh, do a day and practice wearing it for a long extended period of time. That certainly helped me. I know it helped other staff here uh, for us at High Five. But having that opportunity to practice there's going to be a lot of moments where you go out with your your staff and your friends and your colleagues and you try to run stuff and you realize that things are possible, that you can do stuff. What, what Chris was saying, that you can uh, adapt instead of just scrap. There was a huge grieving process especially for me also. I'm running a starting a program starting tomorrow with a group that are coming to Vermont. We call it the Adventure Basics. Um, and it's a lot of activities I thought I would have to scrap. And a lot I've been able to slowly bring back in with modification. So there is definitely options out there i would encourage everyone here if you want to learn more to reach out if we could have justin chris and rich if you want to throw your emails into the chat for everyone um i would highly encourage you to reach out to these individuals because as i said at the start lots of experience captured here um and lots of people who have been doing stuff already so if you are still nervous and you would like some ideas uh, reach out. I'm, I'm almost saying, I'm predicting, but I know that these three people would all be willing to uh, respond to those emails and be a resource for anyone listening to this, uh, myself included. And I'll throw mine in to the hat too. And we are at Could Not Time That Better. So thank you, everyone. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. Thank you. Take it easy. Great to see you guys. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playtime. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving Article Papa Guy. <laughs>